My name is Roma, and this is Zem Love, a podcast about a feeling that I try to describe through the stories and anecdotes and perspective of others, wonderful people that I've met. And through their stories, I want to change the thoughts and the feelings that people have when they think about this beautiful place. Because once you put it into Google, all that pops up is expensive safaris or hyperinflation or even different stories. But there's a specific feeling to this place. And I want to show you through the eyes of others that after all everyone has been through and is going through, there is still a feeling that is true Zim love. This interview was with John. John is my neighbor that I met and we always greeting each other in Tonga. So it will be about the Tonga people, the Tonga language and about John's own experiences. Enjoy. Tonga is a local language in Zimbabwe. The language that is spoken most is Shona then Debele, and then Tonga. Can you say something about Tonga people, the history, yeah. and why, maybe also why it has just been introduced? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how long we've been teaching already Kiswahili, but uh, Kiswahili is there. Yes, Tonga is just, is it's just new, although it's a local language. Can you, can you yes, tell something I about the story? There was some, some situation here which only recognized two indigenous languages, Shona and Dewele. All the other languages, indigenous languages, were not recognized as official. But then, due to some <coughs> advocacy and some, some pressure from the Tonga-speaking people and other ethnic groups, there was a change in the constitution, as you are aware, which now increased the number from 2 to, I think, 16. Yeah, 14, 15, 16. Yeah, yeah. they are now 16 mm. with um, officially sandwich. recognized languages, mm. and Tonga is one of them. Now, Tonga is a cross-border language between Zambia and Zimbabwe. The Tonga people are said to be um, probably among the first people to settle in the in the in Zimbabwe and Zambia and the Zambezi Valley, everyone who came says they found them there. Mm. But there eventually became a split to have the Zambian Tonga and the Zimbabwean Tonga when the Zambezi River was impounded to construct the Kariba Dam. Mm -hmm. Before then, what separated the two was the Zambezi River. And on either side of the, or either bank of the river, you found these related people who could cross over on a canoe or even shout across to the other. So they visited each other so often. But uh, around 57, when the lake, when the dam was completed, there was now that larger you know, body of water which separated the two. And the colonial system also imposed or emphasized on the borders. There was no more easy crossing from one side to the other. And so these people 
became separated. But on the Zimbabwean side, you find Tonga spoken all the way from Vic Falls up to Chirundo, mm. along the Zambezi Valley. And of course, these people are said to have been influenced quite a lot, if not dominated quite a lot, by the system, as well as the uh, the neighboring societies, mostly the Ndebele. So you'll find a lot of Tonga-speaking people using Ndebele names. It's only in recent times that they began to reclaim mm. their identity. And with this movement, advocacy, which saw Tonga introduced in schools in the education system, many people have now begun to go back to their Tonga identity. The Tonga, for quite a long time, have been, one would say, a mysterious community. One, they live in what others consider an inhabitable area. The valley is extremely hot, can be very hot. And then it's very mountainous. So it's not easy to get down to where these people are. So very little was known about the Tonga. And indeed, the interaction with other societies was also very, very limited. Now, when you refer to museums and the like, those, yes, do keep uh, ancient images, historical, you know, images of the people. Mm -hmm. And indeed, uh, like I should say, many African societies, their innovation in terms of clothing was, uh, was, 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 was slow, so to say. But you'd find they were able to cure some animal skin. They were able to, 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 to make uh, cloth from tree buds, the fiber of a particular tree, the baobab tree, because it is gets very soft and is very strong. Mm -hmm. And so those are the items they normally would wear. But, of course, with the coming of the traders, the ivory traders, the valley it has a lot of elephant population. And so people were coming, the Arabs especially, were coming for both ivory and slave raiding. And these are the people who, together with the Portuguese, I think, they started bringing, you know, these articles of cloth, beads, and several other things, which have now become integrated into the... Uh, the costume, so to say, of the Tonga people. But in terms of stereotypes, yes, because there's very little known, there was very little known about them. And you know, when uh, there's not much known, people create stories. <laughs> they'll, they'll come up with all this. So what happened was that marginalization now became so strong. And that's why I did indicate earlier that. Uh, yeah, not many identified themselves as Tonga, all because of the same stereotypes and marginalization which they were viewed with. So they didn't want to identify themselves as such. Mm. It's only in recent times that they're loosening up and trying to get back their pride as an ethnic group. Can you name some of the stereotypes that they were facing? Well, one is that... Uh, 
I, I heard of one which said they, they had six, six toes. I heard that as well. I was very surprised to hear that. Yeah, I, I heard, I, I read it somewhere. But uh, although someone recently, in January 2019, this year, we took a tour of the valley from Wange through Binga to, um, to Siakov and even went down to Mola. We heard someone who said he knows a place where a particular group of people with six toes still live. But whether that's true or not, I don't know. Can you maybe say how many percentage of the people in Zimbabwe and Zambia are Tonga, just to have a relation? I think maybe in Zimbabwe 5%, something like that. Yeah, uh, it could be a little more. There's one fellow movie. There's a there's a write up I, I I read somewhere, which talks of a little more than five percent in Zimbabwe, mm -hmm. but in Zambia we have about seventeen, about seventeen point six oh, there about yeah, yeah. being Tonga speakers, mm -hmm. and uh, the people that are stereotyped on the Zambian side are the Bali Tonga, the group that I belong to. <laughs> Again, for the same reasons, not many people would like to go and live with them to know what they are. Yeah. And with us, they, they attribute one particular aspect, that of being arrogant and perhaps very aggressive. Really? <laughs> yeah, as a result of uh, the, the, the tamarind, the tamarind fruit. You know the tamarind? I think I know. I've heard it, yeah. but I've never heard of it for sure while I was in Germany. But I've got to know some okay. new it's, new things to eat. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a fruit found only in the valley. In Zambia, I find it in the Zambezi Valley as well as the Luango Valley, and uh, it's a very sour plant. And that fruit has been used in. As, as, as a, just an ordinary beverage. But at times, when we have famines, when there's no food, there's scarcity of food, it has played a very big role to sustain us. Mm. And people think, because it's, we, we are so used to this sour fruit, our tempers can be on edge very shortly, short-circuited <laughs> kind of helpful. You have to bring back one next time. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have some. You have some here? Yes. I oh, do. we have to. to, to today yeah. we will try it. It's, I usually keep these uh, uh, traditional foods. Yeah. I, I, I come with these traditional foods. Yeah, so those are some of the stereotypes you would find. And of course, there's this famous smoking pipe called Incherwa. Incherwa. You might have seen some some old women smoking. Uh, it's, it's, it's a gourd with a, a pipe. And, and it's, it's, it's a nice innovation, yes. It's a nice innovation. They put their tobacco there. I like a like a like a ballish kind of structure. Yes. <laughs> and when they inhale, the smoke passes through the water, and then back into the smoker's uh, system. I've seen a similar construction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's only the Valley Tonga 
who are associated with that. Who, and it's a very popular uh, gadget, especially among the elderly people. Now, one of the stereotypes associated with that is the, is the people who smoke that actually do not smoke ordinary tobacco, but they smoke <laughs> marijuana. <laughs> I, I find that uh, very crazy because marijuana is uh, associated with younger people, not the aged. Yeah, yeah. And not women, because men don't smoke that. Mm. It's only the old women who smoke. Oh, that's interesting. Why is it just the old women? <laughs> well, they find it more convenient because others smoke it. That tobacco is you know, processed in a, in a very interesting manner. They, they, they get the green leaves, smash them in a, in a, in a mortar, and then, uh, what can I say? They, 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 they wrap it with, uh, with banana covers, banana leaves, yeah? and trap everything in there. They don't dry it in the, in the hot, in the, in the open. They keep it in a cool place until it is hard and it has dried. So you can imagine all the nicotine and whatever other uh, elements are trapped in there. So the tobacco is very, very strong. Mm. Yeah. So to smoke it directly, you need to be a very strong person. <laughs> so the men <laughs> and younger women who smoke, smoke it directly. But for the old women, they invented that pipe. investigating about the culture of the people did you do some uh, field research in addition to you growing up there in certain areas like i don't know funeral reeds i think i've heard yes. your colleague talk about that yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah my my main interest has been in the in two things one was the marriage uh Marriage practices of the Tonga people, the Valley Tonga people, and then the the funeral rites. Mm. Okay, in marriage, I I wanted to find out the various ways, and uh, realized or discovered that there were actually several methods people would, would marry, and uh, some of them developed out of the influence of westernization and the cash economy because people were required to pay taxes. And to pay tax, you, you had to pay in money, monetary form. And you could only get that money from regular employment. And the employer, the, uh, the common employer then, were the farms on the plateau in the Zamb on the Zambian side. And the mines in Zimbabwe, especially Wange, and some came to do, to work as far as Bulawayo, others went as far as Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, the oldest practice or the favored practice in marriage was childhood betrothal, where if your family is expecting and my family already has a son, would approach your family if we are, you know, if we belong to clans that marry yeah. each other. We would approach your family and say, in case it's a baby girl, you, you're one of your members is carrying, could that be our son's wife? 
And if it turns out that when the baby is born, it's a girl, that is the beginning of a relationship. And these two... That's an early start to dating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they don't know. The, the two will not know. Yeah. Except they will be made to, you know, to, to be, the boy will be sent to run errands for the girl's family so that he gets so used to that family. And the girl also will be seeing him so often and think he's just one of the family. You want me to tell you a folk tale? And it depends how long it is. Maybe a short piece of it. Maybe a very short one uh, is that which involves um, um, which is the shortest now. Ah, Okay, there's one, one, one folk tale of a, a young man who was a very good hunter. Mufimi. A hunter is not to Mufimi. Uh, and was very proud of his skill. But then this one time he went into the bush to hunt and failed to catch any animal. And so he didn't he wasn't too sure he was going to be received back home if he went empty-handed. But as he was coming back, he came across one of the sacred animals and decided to kill that one. Fine, he killed it and put it on his shoulders and walked home very happily, at least with a kill. But when he arrived in the village, everyone just looked at him, no one was excited. And was shocked. What's wrong with these people? I've brought them a kill and they don't seem to be excited. And so he went to where his, the elderly men were seated. And he, in anger, he hung it up a tree and came to join them asked why no one seemed to be interested in what he had killed. And they told him, look, that is not the kind of animal we kill here. That is a sacred animal. You have offended the ancestors. Now, he wasn't amused with that. And so he decided to leave the village and he went away. For a very long time. Now, I don't know how long a very long time was. But uh, when he came back after that very long absence, when he came back, he found his animal, the carcass, still where it was intact and still dripping with blood. And the elder man reminded him to say, a crime you commit will never rot or fade away. Yeah? And there's a proverb to that effect which says, Mulandu, to worry. Mlandu is a crime or an offense or a case. Ikuwala is to rot. Mulandu ikuwala. Mulandu to worry. Mulandu to worry. Yes. Meaning a case will never rot or decay. Now, what that simply means is that when a crime or an offense has been committed, you should be bold enough to sit and discuss it. You don't walk away or run away and think people forget about that case. And so that story was actually used to illustrate the proverb. The, the meaning of sacred animals, you said. Now, I know that in Zimbabwe and also in Zambia, there's the concept of totems. Yes. So... 
What is your totem? I'm of the goat clan. Of the goat clan? Yes. <laughs> I know your colleague is from the elephant clan. Uh, Karma? Yes. Yes, yes, he's from the, <laughs> the elephant clan. And also the head of department. Yes, he's also an elephant. <laughs> And my, my office mate is of the leopard clan. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that concept? Yeah, um... As for us, the Tonga, we are matrilineal. We shall claim to belong to the clan of our mothers. Different, like with the Shona. Yeah, the Shona and then the Wele are patrilineal. Mm -hmm. They are the, the, uh, the top more of their paternal clans. Okay. So in my case, my, my brothers, anyone who is of the God clan, is actually my brother. And anyone of the God clan is my sister. So it could be brother, nephew, but not cousin. Because for us, the concept of cousin involves uh, one born of my uncle, which means my uncle is married to another person, another woman, who is not of the same clan. So I don't share the clan with my uncle's children. And those are the ones I'd call cousins. Okay. Muenema. Okay. Yes. But my mother's sister and her children. Yes. My mother's sister is my mother. Her okay. children are my brothers and sisters. Yes. Because we share the same plan. Yes, I understand. Yeah. yeah. So that's how it operates. And wherever you go, you will, people will usually ask you, What is your totem? The whole idea is to link you to a family in that area of the same totem so that you don't feel lost. So this was the first episode of Zim Love, my podcast about Zimbabwe. And I hope you already had a little of an insight about Zimbabwe's rich culture, history, and also the great people because John is just such a wonderful person. And thank you in Tonga means Tualumba. <laughs>